Everybody turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. You know, one of my favorite books is the book of John. <laughs> and when I come to John chapter 17, before this particular study that I was involved in in the last two or three weeks, knowing that I would be coming up to John chapter 17, I have never been so overwhelmed with a particular verse, a particular chapter. I think one of the things that's happened to me is that when I, when I, I this is the first time it's ever happened, but I've actually felt like a Jewish priest who walks in to the holies of holies. Uh, and I'm not trying to exaggerate. I just think when all of a sudden you have Jesus, the Son of God, speaking to the Father God. And all of a sudden that just takes on a completely different realm. And yes, he is praying for himself. Yes, he is praying for his disciples. Yes, he's praying for us, the church. And there are many things in this particular chapter that Number one, he's praying for himself, which is divided from what he is praying for those apostles, those twelve men who were in the upper room with him. And then there is a section where he prays specifically for the church. And I think there's definitely a distinction in each one of those, but you just wonder if he was praying in the midst of them, or at this particular time he was a Awaken. Uh, all of this beginning with chapter 13 of John, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, is called the Upper Room Discourse by many commentators. And so when you get to this particular chapter, there is a possibility that he is away from his disciples. But if he is with his disciples at this particular time and to hear him, Pray for them. I think it's it's like it's like here on Sunday morning when we lift up people's names and we ask God in a very special way to be with them. I know many of you pray for Eddie before he steps up there in in the in the pulpit. You you pray that. God will use him in a powerful way, and that God will be glorified by his words. At the same time, we look at people who are sick, and I'm sure that those people who are online and hear those prayers, there's something very meaningful to hear their name being lifted up to God. And as we pray for each other, that God will empower us to do the things that our faith prompts us to do so that the name of Jesus will be glorified and he will be glorified in us. That's a powerful, powerful way of thinking about this. So when we come to chapter 17, if those disciples were in his midst at that particular time, if they were still in the upper river, some commentators say at this particular time that he was in the garden, that he had made his way to the garden to pray. And on his way to the, 
the garment to pray these words. These words. But regardless, I don't think it makes any difference, but regardless, it is the fact that we are in the midst of the holds of holds. We have walked in to that place that only the priest would go once a year to, to help to, to speak for the people of God. So, with that in mind, I, if you'll just get that idea that we are in the midst of the Holy of Holies, this, of, all the, of all the ideas that could be, that could be announced, I think we just need to feel that to really appreciate this. So, I want to kind of break this up. It seems to me that the first five verses are about the prayer for himself. Those first five verses, he's praying for himself that he will be glorified and that he will glorify God. And then, beginning with verse 6, going through 19, he's praying specifically for those 12 men, whether they are in the upper room with him or if he is in the garden. And then we get to verse 20, and we realize that he is praying for the church, for, for the believers who will live and, and demonstrate their service to God forever, from time to time. So let's, with that breakdown, let's look at it, and uh, I hope that we can... I hope we can make it meaningful. I hope that you can leave here and feel what I have felt in the last three weeks as I've studied for this. When Jesus had spoken these words, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. One of the things that we have noticed throughout the book of John is that Jesus has said, my hour has not come. The first time he said that was, when he was turning water into wine. And his mother came to him and said, we've run out of wine. And he said, my hour has not come. Throughout the book of John, we have seen him say that, oh, but now the hour has come. And that hour is the time that he will be glorified. And the way he will be glorified is that he will go to the most horrible experience of death that a man could ever experience. He would go to the cross. And so, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all who you have given him. When we turn to, we notice the word authority here. When he says he has given him authority over all flesh. I want you to remember the words that are very much a part of your heart. In Matthew 28, when he says, all authority has been given to me. Go and preach and baptize. You know that verse. 
And here he's just demonstrating his authority over all flesh. We sometimes talk about Jesus being our Savior. But just as much powerful over us is that Jesus is our Lord. Our Lord. He is the one who has authority over our lives. He is the one who demonstrates himself time and time again over our lives. So, he's been given all authority. And of course, the way he does that is to go to the cross. I want you to remember the verse in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which you also have in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And having been found in the likeness of the sinful man, he became obedient even to death upon the cross. Now here it is. Therefore God has highly bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Did you hear that? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That's the authority of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. One day all mankind from all eternity will bow at the foot of Jesus. That's his authority. And to think that you and I live under his authority. Wow, what a power that is. What a wonderful idea to to be demonstrated in our everyday life. So, he goes on to say, whom you have, I, to be able to give eternal life to all who you have given him. I want you to know that there is free choice, and I also want you to know that there is election. And those go together hand in hand. You will see time and time again where he says in the book of John, where we, are, where we have been chosen or elected at the same time by God, at the same time it, w- there is a belief upon each one of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is election and there is belief. And sometimes we, we shy away from that. We, we, we don't, we re, it's something we don't really understand. But it's like a railroad track. You have election and you have free will. And he says in this particular pro- verse, to, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In other words, given Jesus. And he's talking about these 12 at this particular time. Because God, when God directed him, you'll remember that he prayed all night long before he chose the 12. He prayed all night long that he might choose the 12. Those names were given to him 
by God. So, with that in mind, let's go on a little bit farther. If you have any questions or if you have any comments, be sure and speak up. I, I love that when we, when we have this give and take. And I know sometimes in this big auditorium, we're like a marbles in a big cage. We would kind of rumble around, but I want you to feel free to be able to speak. And to give eternal life the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, I glorified you in the way that I lived. I glorified you in the life that I lived. I glorified you in the fact that I have accomplished the work that you gave me, which was the miracles, which were the sayings that came out of his mouth, and now it will be the cross. He will accomplish the work that you have sent me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth. We cannot imagine what that's like to be what Jesus experienced before he came to earth. Glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth. I think the only way that you can un understand that just a glimpse is for you to go home today and turn to your Bible in Colossians chapter 1 and read those first few verses in Colossians chapter 1 that talks about the preeminence of Christ, being the co-creator of the universe, being the one who holds all things together. He is the glue of what we are about. He holds everything together. And so you will get a glimpse of what it was like for him to be in the, in the very presence of the Almighty God and to be part of the Godhead. So, also the work that he did was the work on the cross. And I want you to remember that verse in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that just for a minute. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God did what the law could not do in sending of his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. It's amazing what he did at that particular point. That's the part of the cross that we sometimes overlook. That because of him going to the cross and because of our belief and obedience in him, we have eternal life. Awesome, awesome. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And then beginning with verse 6, he starts praying for those 12. And there is 10 different things that I'd like for us to look at what he actually prays for those people, those 12 men. I have mentioned your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Not only did you give them to me, but they have kept your word. I think there's something there for us to walk away with and to ask ourselves as we leave this building today, how am I keeping his word? How does the word affect my life, my everyday life? Because he is king of kings and lord of lords, because he has all authority over all the earth, how do I keep his word? Yes. Okay. Amen. And that's so good. And I, I really appreciate Jeff saying that because there, we all have to admit that there's been times in our life, everyday life, let's just admit it, everyday life, that we, we fall, we, we, we mess up, we have the wrong thoughts, we have the wrong ways of doing things, and yet we need, we need to know that there was Peter who denied him, and yet he said to Peter, you're going to be the one that preaches the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. Wow. Isn't it amazing? The very one who denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. And yet, he's prepared a place for Peter in heaven. Good thought. Very good thought. Now that they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Isn't it amazing what he's talking about here, that they realize that here Jesus is the very one who is the promised Messiah. And there were so many people, regardless of seeing all the wonderful miracles that he performed, still did not believe. Even the messianic promise, uh, messianic miracles of, of, of taking a man who was born blind and could see. How he could heal leprosy. Those were messianic miracles. And yet they denied them. They walked away from that. For I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am the one who is the promised one. That's what he's saying. I am praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now somebody says, why is he not praying for the world? That does not mean that he has no 
love for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But at this particular time, he is saying, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these men who you have given to me. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have, and I am glorified in them. And we can do the same thing in our own life, that we can glorify the name of Jesus by the way we live. And again, God empowers us to, that, to do that. And as I pray for each and every one of you, and that doesn't mean that I'm doing that right now, but as your, your name is lifted up before God, that God would empower you to do the things that your faith prompts you to do so that the name of Jesus will be glorified. That's what it's all about. And if you want to know where that scripture is, it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Just look at that this afternoon and just see how powerful that is that we, not only do those 12 men glorify him, but each one of us in this room can glorify him as well as we do the things that God empowers us to do. Anybody got an idea? Yes. I'm part of that scripture that I don't know if it bothers me or if I'm willing to accept it or what. It says, all mine are yours and all yours are mine. Uh, all, all that we have belongs to God. But all that God has does not belong to us if Jesus is saying that for himself. Why can't I have everything? I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> Why can't we have everything? Gary, you answer that question. It depends on how, I think, it depends on how you look at it. Now, first of all, we're not God. Uh, but we will have everything, we do have everything we need in Jesus. and he gives us all the things that we need and will give us everything we need as the pottery. Uh, and we're co-heirs with Christ. So maybe at that point in time, uh, we're going to have a lot more coming in blessings and uh, being co-heirs with Christ. Does that mean we will have everything? Uh, what extent? But one one point I would make in looking uh, through this section here, it's obvious as Jesus is praying to the Father, and it, and it even goes back to verse one. His ultimate his ultimate goal is to glorify the Father, and he is subservient. He prays later. Father, let this pass from me. I do not want this to happen, but your will be done. So, he has authority over all, all of the creation, but yet he is still subservient to the Father. So, 
I don't know how all that works, but there seems to be a hierarchy in the Godhead. See, that's why I didn't answer that question. <laughs> what, but, but I would like to go back to it because I am praying for them. I am praying not for the world, but for those who have given, you given me, for they are yours. So we're talking about those 12 men. All mine are yours. In other words, all those 12 men are yours. And yours are mine. In other words, you have given them to me and they are, they are yours or mine. In other words, they're mine as well. And I am glorified in them. It just seems like that he's talking about those 12 men. I, I, I just, and I'm not disagreeing with you, Gary, at all. I'm just saying that that's my understanding, that he's talking about those 12 men that God has given him, and they are mine and they are yours, and at that I'm, and besides all of that, they're glorifying. I'm glorified in them. So, uh, and that's not to dispute what you're saying either, Jeff. It's just my understanding at this particular point. And, and I think that's so important for us to get in our mind that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all God, but God is not the Son. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not the Son. Holy Spirit is, not God, uh, is God, but is not the Father. So all of that, we need to know that there's three distinct people. Well, I can't say people. Three distinct entities. What did you say? Forms, thank you. And, and within, within that, there, there is the holiness of God. Larry. Uh, scripture says that Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Intercession is a, is a form of prayer. And so looking at these verses, does he pray for us as well? Does he pray specifically for Skip Clark and for each one of us? Amen. Amen. And that's powerful to think about that. It really is. Each time that I come before you on a Sunday morning, you know I'm scared to death, and that's why I bring this, this bottle of water because I get dry mouth all the time. So you know I'm scared. <laughs> and the reason I'm scared is because I'm doing something that puts you at a point that you're speaking the words of God, and that's something. And it's, it's not to be taken lightly. And so I pray, God, use me to your glory. And I, Gary does the same thing. Anybody that teaches does the same thing. Lord, I'm speaking your words, so make sure that I say the right things and make sure that I'm thinking the right thoughts as I go into this. Very good. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I kept them in your name. When I think about the name of God, I think about the characteristics of God. I think about who he is and all of his entities. And so when, with, with that, he, he is ab absolutely sharing with me of how Jesus himself feels about this. It is amazing that I've 
kept them in your name. It reminds me of that passage in Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 18, where it says, the name of the Lord is a strong power, and the righteous run into it. Think about that. The name of God is a strong power, and the righteousness run into it. Not only in that particular thing, you actually see the characteristic of God, the power of God, but there's many other characteristics of, that we see of God. So I've kept them in your name which you've given me, and I've guarded them, and not one of them have been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures may be fulfilled, that now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Of course, he's talking about Judas Iscariot, the one who is lost. And the difference between Judas and Peter, and I think it needs to be distinguished here at this particular point, Judas would not see any repentance. All he would do is go out and hang himself. He knew he, he was doomed. And yet Peter wept bitterly when he denied the Christ and would do anything. In other words, there was a repentance in his heart where in Judas it was just doomsday. There was no repentance at all. And I think that that's so important to realize that both of these men messed up and Peter could have been the one just like Judas if he had not wept bitterly and, and prayed and been forgiven. And yet there's a place in all of us that we need to realize the power of repentance when, when we've done those things. That's why it says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who, forgive, who uh, trespass against us. Forgive us of our sins. That's that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Give us our daily bread and forgive us of the sins. So, with that in mind, we go on just a little bit farther in verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may ha have joy fulfilled in themselves. Again, we're still talking about those 12 men, that there will be joy that they will experience because of the relationship they have with the Christ. I have given them your word, and the word has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I think what we realize is that in the, in the power of the, of the word of God, that there's going to be times in our own life when we're hated because of the world. That there's going to be a, a dynamic difference between those of us who believe that he is authority and that every knee shall bow and that every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Because we believe that, we speak. Because we know who he is, because of his authority, because of the, of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus sanctifies himself so that they will be sanctified. And how does he do that? By going to the cross. Amazing things that take place because of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Then it comes to the prayer for the church. Beginning with verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Their word, the 12 apostles' prayers. uh, Word, excuse me. Because of their word. In other words, the word that you and I receive today, the the many words that are written by Paul and John and Peter, these are the individuals that are speaking to us in this day and time. I do not ask for them only, but also for those who believe in me through the word, and they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I know that that's a a hard pill to swallow. It is for me, anyway, because I don't see oneness. I don't see oneness in the Christian faith. And maybe you have another idea. Maybe I need to learn from you at this particular point, but it just seems like that that's just a hard pill, pill to swallow, that there is not that oneness that Jesus prayed for at this particular time for the church. And at the same time, I know that there is a oneness with a lot of people because I've participated in what is called the walk to Emmaus. Does anybody know what that is? If you know what the walk to Emmaus is, raise your hand. I've participated in that many times, uh, and there was a oneness there that was amazing. Each time that I walked, and I was, I was a leader in those particular walks, and it was, it was amazing. And men came from all walks of life, all religious backgrounds, and it was, it was absolutely one of the dynamic things that I think of today. Uh, and so with that in mind, there, there was a oneness that I experienced that was amazing. So I'm going to leave that alone unless somebody wants to tackle it. Yes? Even before this, I want to say this reminds me of Revelation, the scene at the uh, throne of the 24 elders <laughs> who were apparently given some kind of power and glory to wear a crown. They bow and they return those crowns. We don't desire to possess it, but we accomplish we want to give back. Okay, I want to repeat what he said. That it reminds him of the book of Revelation in which they're standing at the throne and each one are given a crown of the 12 elders and they are giving those crowns back. And so Keith went on to say that that's the way we are. That we, when we receive, we also want to give. Did I kind of share? Yeah, I think so. They are there with the crowns. They will get crowns here. But everything they have, we don't desire to possess, I don't think, anything when we 
see what it accomplished. We're willing to say, we did everything for you. And he, that we have done everything for you, Lord. And I think that's exactly how each one of us should feel and do feel that it all belongs to him. It all, everything belongs to him. Yes? I think the concept of unity here that he's talking about is, I don't think we need to rush by that because I think that's the, the point of what he's making here is if we can't be unified, I mean, God has established the unity that we have through Jesus Christ. And if we can't be unified in that, then we have no witness to the world. And we have no, uh, no reason to exist because that's, the, that's what Jesus prays for, is that we have that unity. And it breaks my heart to see people because things aren't going their way or things aren't the way they think it should be. It's just so easy to get up and go somewhere else rather than do the hard, have the hard conversations and have the hard work of maintaining that unity so that the world can see, hey, these people have something that's worthwhile. The idea that that there is a oneness that we should have and that because of that, we just because we don't like the way things are at this particular place, we still stay with the, the idea that this is where I belong. I know that's not exactly adequate of what you said, but I want to try to repeat and help me just a little bit, you know, uh, that there is, a, there is a oneness, and it should be a oneness uh, that, because Jesus prayed for that. In other words, and I have to be perfectly honest, and I probably get thrown out and never teach again when I say this, but when I go to Alaska, I go to a church that's called Grace Harbor. It's a non-denominational church. And I have to tell you, I even preach there, okay? And I love when they ask me to preach. And I'm in a, when I'm there, I'm in a rotation of five different guys. And it's, it's amazing to me. And so uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, I feel a oneness when I'm there. In, at Grace Harbor. Do I believe all the things that they believe? No. Am I part of the membership? Yes, even though I don't believe it all. And so what I'm saying is that, and let me just put it out. They're a Calvinistic church, okay? Now I know I'm going to get thrown out, but, but it's amazing what happens at that particular place. Coast Guard, the Coast Guard in Sitka, Alaska, th those young men come there, they're single men, they come and they, on the first Sundays that they're in Sitka, they come to church, and it's wonderful. And one of the first things that I do is I go up and say, hey, let's exchange phone numbers, let's go out for coffee, because I know those single guys are in the Coast Guard, and they're around people that are the most worldly people in the world. And they need encouragement. And it's awesome. Oh, I don't know why I said all that, but anyway, there's oneness. <laughs> That's what, what I'm trying to say. 
Okay, let me go a little bit farther. Uh, Because this may be the last time I ever teach here. (laughs) I do not ask for those only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I am in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I just absolutely love that part. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. That's something that a 78-year-old guy looks forward to. And if you might be 30 and 40, you're thinking, I'm not really thinking that right now. But the older you get, you look forward to that place when you'll be with Jesus. And I don't know when that's going to happen for me, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And I love the verse when he says, because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. He was the co-creator of the universe. Jesus, the co-creator of the universe. And there was a love between the Father and the Son that was unimaginable. And you and I are going to experience that love like they experience the love. And that's far beyond anything that I can even imagine in my mind. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In other words, there is a love that you and I enjoy with one another that's just a taste of what that love's going to be in the presence of the Almighty God. There is a love that participates in our own life, in the body of Christ, that's unimaginable. And we are experiencing that. And I'm going to give you five minutes that I'm not supposed to give you because I'm out. Anybody got a question or comment? Thank you for enduring my time before you. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.